It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it's only something to your own head. Beat it up and I've seen got no feet. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Next fire in the fire, Mr. Simpson's other gangs in the government for hiring the combat site. Break it wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're getting it down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. This is the hour of Doom. And Bloom. Ah, friends and neighbors, welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, a dauntless diorama of daring in a dastardly world. I'm Joe Halton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find a thousand posts, videos, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And I'm also known as Nurse Amy. That's right. We are the dynamic duo, the beauty and the beast, <laughs> the queen and the codger. And we are here, guess what, to help you keep it together even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a cranky crustacean? Our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice. For anything other than post-apocalyptic settings, no contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. But when the helicopter is not on the horizon, that rescue helicopter, who are you going to call when someone gets hurt or sick? Ghostbusters? I <laughs> know. Hmm. <laughs> well, you'll have a ghost on your hands if you, the average citizen, don't show the world that you've got more sense than a suitcase full of field mice by learning what to do for injuries and illness in times of trouble. And while you're at it, you know what? Get some supplies and a medical kit to go along with all that knowledge. And what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated but never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle medical issues you'll face in any disaster. They're designed by yours truly, an honest-to-gosh medical doctor, and hers truly, an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Compare our kits for content, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff, please, or just ask anyone who's ever bought one. You'll agree our kits are the ones you should have in your medical storage. 
Hey, you know, we learn as much from you guys as you do from us, obviously. So <laughs> give us some education, Prepper Nation. It's easy. And here's a lovely nurse, Amy, to tell you how. Absolutely. Contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. You can also find contact forms on doomandbloom.net and store.doomandbloom.net so you know that it will get to us. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. We have a Facebook page you can like and follow called Doom and Bloom. And you can also friend Joe Alton on Facebook if you'd like. You can follow us on Twitter at Prepper Show. And don't forget our YouTube channel, DR Bones, Nurse Amy. And our other podcast, which is about current events. Hey, you know what? What? I just want to say that I feel (laughs) terrible that... Facebook doesn't allow us to put two names on our personal it's okay. page. It's okay. Don't worry about it. That is horrible. Well, that's what we tried originally. We have a Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy as a first name and a second name, but that's okay. We will follow the rules because that's what we are, rule followers, oh. law-abiding citizens, Yeah, but we've good got Samaritans. A, we've got a renegade streak in us somewhere. No, just you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want you to tell us just a tiny bit about this new kit that you have put together. It's a three-person kit. Oh. And tell me a little bit about how it came about. Well, I've been contacted by uh, large groups before, uh, high schools, churches, uh, prepper groups. And in particular, one church group uh, has a security team. They're not a huge church, but they're they're you know, got their stuff together. And they saw what's been happening lately. And about six months ago, I started contacting uh, or having contacts and um, emails with someone who requested special kits be made. And he wanted it to take care of about three people. So we put together a special kit. Uh, I now just put it up on the store. It's been, you know, remaining just a kit that I had done for him and his group. But it is a multi-person trauma kit for bleeding. And what it has is, uh, most importantly, tourniquets, which we know were really important in several of these mass casualty incidents. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially Vegas. I just heard the uh, chief of the fire department speaking yesterday and thanking all of the citizens, the good Samaritans out there, as well as off-duty police officers and firefighters and and other personnel like that who may not have had supplies on them, but they took belts off and they made tourniquets and they probably saved a lot of lives. And, you know, their job would have been a lot easier with some of the tourniquets that you use in this kit. Which is exactly what I'm trying to do is provide, you know, some actual tourniquets that are handy and within one kit you can take care of three severe severely injured people Uh, so we have two military style military grade tourniquets you can either get the cat which is a combat application tourniquet gen 7 which is their newest Uh, by the way you can see how to use that tourniquet on a youtube uh, video that i made not too long ago that's right Right, how to use a tourniquet, um, and then it's a cat tourniquet. And then uh, also your alternative is the Soft T Special Ops, Ops Forces yeah. tourniquet. 
Uh, I also have a video on that. And your third tourniquet, you have two of either of those. Your third tour- tourniquet is called a SWAT. Stretch and wrap Stretch, wrap, and tuck. and tuck, yeah. Exactly. Stretch, wrap, and tuck. Um, I have not made a video about that. However, if you look at my Bleeding Kit series, you will see that uh, tourniquet and basically how to use it. It's very simple. The reason I put that third one is it can either be a, a secondary tourniquet if the military one is not working well. You can put a second one above that one. Also, it works great for people with really thin arms. And that could be someone who is very, very young, an infant, a toddler, a small or, child, even or, a skinny teenager, a, a thin woman. Or a very old man or, like me. <laughs> or somebody who just, you know, for whatever reason, illness or or age, just has really skinny arms. So that tourniquet is great as an all-purpose tourniquet for anyone, no matter what size they are. So you have three tourniquets. You have three pressure bandages. I do use the uh, Israeli bandage, which is also called emergency bandage brand. Uh, That is the military-grade pressure dressing. So you have three of those. You have six compressed dressings. And the reason there's not just three is because sometimes bleeding injuries cause a lot of bleeding, and you need a lot of gauze. Right. Well, it, it doesn't look like a lot of gauze when you look at the it in its package, <laughs> no. but it's actually what four point five inches by twelve feet. Twelve feet of exactly. gauze when you actually open it up. Yeah, the vacuum it's a compressed nice gauze. big wad of gauze. It would fill up two handfuls, so it's a good size gauze. You have six of those. You also have six. Six-inch roller gauze. Those are sterile. Sure. Uh, those can also be used to uh, help put pressure on a wound. You've got lots of gloves, nitrile, so they're non-allergy um, causing. And I put, instead of EMT shears, I put three bandage scissors. They're heavy-duty. If those things get loose, there's a screw on them. You just tighten those up. Uh, they're They're really great for cutting off the clothing and exposing the wound, which is what you need to do and see, you know, what's going on there. So gloves and scissors, uh, lots and lots of gauze. You have pressure bandages, the tourniquets. We also have something really important. Um, If your bleeding just does not stop with uh, pressure with the gauze, you're going to need to not only put the tourniquet on, but you're going to probably need to use what's called a hemostatic product. Uh, the brand I use is Celox. I like that one because it does have proof that it works with someone who takes blood thinners or who's someone who has a medical condition that causes them to have increased bleeding times. Exactly. So, and sometimes people are just malnourished or or take medicine that make their blood, you know, very difficult to clot. This will work in those types of people. It is impregnated in a gauze. You're not dumping powder into a a wound that could possibly blow away. It's in a gauze. The gauze is 10 feet long. It's called a Z-fold, so it's nicely packed up. It's really easy to apply. You're going to put that directly on the bleeding blood vessel, and you're going to hold that with a lot of hand pressure over it for at least three, three minutes. minutes. right. That's the key to it. That's the one step that you have to remember. You're going, packing it onto that blood vessel that's actually bleeding, not just, quote, in the wound, and you're pushing towards that blood vessel. So you want to give it a chance to work. So 
for three minutes. And then what I would do is use uh, one of those roller gauzes or the H&H to pack over that. And then put your pressure dressing on top of it. It's almost like a sandwiching a lasagna. Yeah. Start, start Layers. With, start with the, the sea locks. If that gauze didn't help, and then add gauze on top of that, put that pressure bandage on real, real tight, and um, just hope the the EMTs are on their way, that they can get that patient out to the hospital as soon as possible. Well, excellent. So oh, and that, I do have some and, hand, Oh, what's that called again? I have what hand, is your... hand sanitizer in it also. Oh, three oh, three right. bottles. And actually, besides the Sealox and the tourniquets, which are super important, there are instructions I am not just giving you a kit that you don't know what to do with. And this is important for all of my kits. You have an instruction paper printed on waterproof paper. It has pictures of the product, a little description in between, and on the other side is the picture of the action. So if you don't read or you can't see the words because of glasses or whatever, the pictures are big enough that you see the product on the left and the action on the right. You can't mess this up. Even if you don't speak English, you will be able to see the pictures. It's very, very obvious what you need to do with those products. Those are important. I have two instructions in there that are specific for the tourniquet that you get, either the cat or the soft tea. And then there's a third one that is specifically for that stretch, wrap, and tuck SWAT tourniquet. So you have three different instructions. So if you have three patients, they're not right next to each other. You don't have to share instructions. Everyone gets their own, so you know what to do. Oh, there's another addition. There are chest seals. Not a bag with tape, but actual commercially produced chest seals. They're vented. There are a... Three two-packs, which means you have six chest seals. So if you have an entrance and an exit wound through the chest, you have a two-pack. You can put one on the front, one on the back. Very simple. Again, there's pictures on the instruction sheet. There's also description on the package itself. But there are three sets of two. So you actually have six chest seals that can help in that a, kit. Right, and that can help a collapsed lung to reinflate and... Allow people to breathe while they're waiting for emergency right. there, services. There's a, a lot of issues with with problems with shots through through the chest, more than we can talk about right now. But just know that you do have um, really important items uh, that can take care of m- multiple victims. And this is the first time I think we've mentioned it on the show well, that you have this kit. What is yep. the kit called again? A multi-person Trauma Kit for Bleeding. And check it out. You can find it at store.doomandbloom.net. Hey, last week we talked about all the various ways that you can get in trouble by having the women in your mutual assistance group become pregnant in the aftermath of some mega disaster. If you find yourself off the grid, then not by choice, you'll need everybody at 100%. And you want to know something. If you ever known Anybody who's been pregnant or you've been pregnant yourself, you know the 100% efficiency. That is a challenge with all the aches and pains and nausea and fatigue and all the rest that goes along with carrying a baby. Now, we even talked about some dangerous stuff, too, last week. Even uh, dehydration from vomiting during pregnancy can be that even that can be risky if you don't have intravenous fluids, which very few of us would have in a true disaster that it takes you off the grid. I did would want to mention one video that you have put up and also an article on rectal rehydration, which actually could be a possible solution 
for these folks when you don't have IV solutions. Yes, you're absolutely right. We uh, talk about the particular way that you can actually infuse water into the large intestine. Instilling, infusing. (laughs) And it is a way that was used. It's obsolete now, but it was a way that was used during World War I uh, in many circumstances to try to uh, save people that were dehydrated or who had lost a lot of blood were de- right. de- uh, dehydrated with that. Uh, your large intestine can absorb water. It does a pretty good job. Not nutrients, doing but water. Right, exactly. So it's not going to help you if you pour Insure right. into the tube. <laughs> <laughs> however, Absolutely. however, yes. Fluids, yes. <laughs> so, anyhow, you got these problems. You have people that have uh, things like dehydration and. Uh, when they're pregnant, things are just worse. I, I mean, but the truth is, is if you're the medic, you're going to be confronted with eventually, at least, pregnancy and childbirth at one point or another. Unless you you're the medic for a post-apocalyptic monastery, I guess you probably won't. But <laughs> uh, otherwise, they, you're gonna eventually probably going to be deal a lot of those. <laughs> That's right. Now we've talked about natural family planning. Did it last week, as a matter of fact. But despite all the efforts that you might make to prevent pregnancy, I mean the best laid plans of mice and men, they say, sometimes go awry. And whether by accident or on purpose, you may find yourself responsible for the care of a pregnant woman or pregnant yourself. And it it will be important to know how to support that pregnancy and eventually to deliver that baby. Now, you're not going to have access to ultrasounds and stuff like that to take a look at the fetus. Whether it's a boy or a girl is going to once again become a mystery, only solved at birth. And you know what? Who cares? That's right. As long as it's healthy. That's right. And, and, more practically, you'll have to sort of eyeball the size of the fetus as opposed to using the measurements that they do of the head and the abdomen uh, on ultrasound to sort of come to what they think is uh, the size of the baby or the weight of the, the expected weight of the baby, all the other things that they use these days to figure that out. And even twins might be a surprise uh, in the future if, if we wind up off the grid. Well, if people who aren't used to monitoring pregnancy are monitoring pregnancies, they might not understand the exact growth rate of what a pregnancy should look like and be able to say, oh, well, that's not what I've seen in these other 200 pregnancies. This is unusual. I think uh, this child might be multiple children inside of there. (laughs) Experience will tell. Sometimes it's pretty obvious, but experience will tell. Now, uh, one thing, without these prenatal megavitamins that we uh, take when, uh, when we're pregnant, babies are probably going to be smaller at birth in a survival setting. And uh, this is, in general, not something we like to see. We want to see a good-sized baby. Uh, but in general, might not be so bad because you're not going to have cesarean section as an option. That's not going to be available. Uh, it will actually, but not in any way that guarantees the survival no. of the mother, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, in any case, uh, it's less traumatic for the mother to deliver a six or seven pound baby than a ten pounder. So, maybe small babies really wouldn't be so bad less, in that circumstance. Absolutely, Certainly, less risk. I would, yes, I'd rather deal with a smaller baby than a bigger baby if I didn't have the well, benefit of modern medicine. Not only is a baby of that size more likely to be able to be delivered naturally, but it's going to cause less trauma. Uh, when it's coming out to the mother, sure, less so tears. You might in the have vagina less and things, things like that. to sure. have to repair, and any time you don't have to stitch somebody up is is much much better um, for 
the actual mother and less trauma to the baby's heads too. Absolutely. If you're, you know, these people who have home births and have giant babies, you can have a risk of having damage to the baby. So I think overall uh, it is a good idea. And not only just the vitamins, but if you think about how the diet will be different, they're not going to have access to all the cravings they might have. You know, some women crave McDonald's or milkshakes or ice cream, ice cream or candy, and pickles or chocolate. <laughs> you know, which is perfectly fine. Listen, when you're pregnant, go for it. Okay, as long as you do have a healthy diet in between, you know, satisfy your cravings. Whatever, you're not pregnant too many times in life. Enjoy it. There you go. But well, when you are in a situation where it's better for the baby to be smaller, not having access to these types of foods might lead to the smaller babies, again, that come out naturally with less trauma to the baby and the mom. So, you know, that would be a win-win situation if they're just a little bit smaller. We're not talking itty-bitty babies, but just a little bit smaller. That's right. You know, we talked about all the possible complications that can occur in pregnancy. We talked about that just last week. But pregnancy is still a natural process. You know, usually usually proceeds without major complications. Usually ends in the delivery of a normal baby. Yay. And Thank goodness. Maybe your pregnant lady uh, may not be as productive for the survival group as she might ordinarily be if she wasn't pregnant, but she'll probably still be able to contribute somewhat to help make your efforts a success. You but just wait have a to second. work it out. Wait a second. Yes. I think she's pretty darn productive if she's contributing another member. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> You're going to eat those words. Well, the, that, she eat, is the, being the pre- word is eat. You're absolutely right. Another mouth to feed. <laughs> you better be ready to, to handle that additional strain. But I'd say she is being productive. <laughs> Give her a little credit for that. <laughs> absolutely. Well, the truth of the matter is if you're going to make her pregnancy a success and have a healthy baby – at the end of it, the medics needs a little knowledge of the subject and an idea of how to deliver the baby, right? Now, we're, of course, fortunate to have simple tests that identify pregnancy even before your patient misses a period. But what if these tests are no longer available? You have to rely on tried and true signs and symptoms of pregnancy to identify the condition. Now, if you have somebody with a first pregnancy, they may not be so sure whether they're pregnant or not. But there are physical signs of pregnancy that you can identify, some of which are obvious and some not so much. Of course, one is you're missing a period if you have had regular periods in the past. Mm-hmm. Your breasts become tender. You get nauseous. You may vomit. Uh, Wait, the, I'm, I'm going to add something in that nausea and vomiting. Uh-huh. The nausea may be related to heightened smells. You're gonna, you might notice that you smell things across the house or when you walk into a restaurant that absolutely would never have bothered you before, but you can tell they're using garlic in the kitchen that's 300 feet away, and it just pushes you outside the restaurant because you can't stand it. So super heightened smell Uh may lead to the nausea, Um, but if you start smelling things that you don't normally smell and things are bothering you that don't normally bother you, uh, that is another sign. There you go. Uh, also, uh, physical signs, darkening of the nipples, you'll see that. Uh, the patient will feel fatigue. They'll have some backache. Dizzy. Wait, I'm going to add dizzy dizziness. with the fatigue. Right. Um, I think you start having strange reactions to uh, food and low blood sugars. So you might 
get dizzy when you don't expect or that's never happened to you. Yeah. So dizziness is another thing. Of course, as the uterus starts enlarging, it starts pressing on nerves, maybe in your sacroiliac area, you might have some backache. Um, it's also going to press in the front on the bladder, and so therefore you're going to be urinating more Pee frequently. more often, So yes. here are a bunch of symptoms that, <laughs> physical signs and symptoms that you can at some point it's figure gonna, out there's a pregnancy. At some point it's going to be pretty obvious. But, without a pregnancy test. But a little bit earlier, these are some things you're going to look at. <laughs> at some point you'll be like, okay, something's kicking in there. What the heck? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Oh, and by the way, I haven't had my period for like five months. Hmm. Well, mystery solved. There you go. So anyway, all these symptoms in combination are indicative of pregnancy, and the timing of each of these is variable. Some will be noticed earlier than others. And I want to say that, you know, this investigation of whether somebody's pregnant or not, it's going to be necessary probably only in those people that experience their first pregnancy. Once you've been pregnant, you most likely know when it happens again. Uh, Did you know when you were pregnant the second time around? Yes. Yes. But... I'm, you know, think about what I am. You're a nurse practitioner. uh, Yeah. Midwife. (laughs) Yeah. Nurse midwife. Kind of. I was all in tune to that. Yeah, I'll bet. I was like, oh, here it goes. (laughs) Now, of course, one physical sign I didn't mention is that there's abdominal swelling. The belly gets bigger. And, of course, as time goes on, it gets bigger and bigger. Eventually, uh, uterine growth and, and fetal growth as a result. That's going to be undeniable. Uh, there are stretch marks. They usually come later, although you do see them, strangely, in some women pretty early, uh, uh, as do... Uh, well, it depends on how much McDonald's there you go. they're craving yeah. <laughs> or Burger King. I there shouldn't exclusively we, mention right. McDonald's. I like Maybe Burger Wendy's, oh, yeah. Crystal Burgers. Oh, Crystal Burgers. Oh, my Queen, gosh. Now we're going Subway. off the editor. Wow. <laughs> Uh, uh, Pizza Hut. I'm going to mention Pizza Hut. (laughs) Other things uh, that you'll see because of the pressure uh, on the lower part of the body, you'll see hemorrhoids form. You'll see uh, varicose veins form. All these things are very common. Not universal, but very common. And these changes are part and parcel of the average, even healthy pregnancy. Most of the... uh, these things will improve after the pregnancy is over. May not disappear completely, but usually improve. So I guess one of the first questions that you're going to wind up being asked is what's besides our, is there a pregnancy is what's the due date? And this is a question everybody's going to want answered once you figure out that indeed somebody's pregnant. Now, human pregnancy lasts about 280 days or 40 weeks from the first day of the last menstrual period in people that have had monthly periods. I want to repeat that because people are kind of confused about timing. And even though you actually haven't even ovulated or gotten pregnant, because usually people ovulate 14 days after that first day of your period, you get an extra free two weeks for your period. Right. <laughs> for, yes. for your pregnancy. So you have 38 weeks so, of... of- Pregnancy symptoms, actual, the first top couple you don't. Of actual fertilized egg, there's uh-huh. 38 weeks, but you still get that extra two weeks. So in order for everyone to be a little more accurate with timing of pregnancy, it's something that most women remember. When was the first day of your last period? So that's why the timing is used for there. Right. Whether you ovulated two weeks later or two weeks and a day later or 12 days later, Really, that day or two, unless you have really, you know, messed up periods that are 
weeks, weeks and weeks apart, uh, that is going to give you the best timing. So go from the first day of the last period and then add exactly 40 weeks, and that is a due date. And the due date is also known as the EDC or the Estimated Date of Confinement because, yes, confined they it. confined women to their beds as they approached it in the yes, old days. they did. And, and sure enough, that's how we figured it out. Now, the, that date is simple. If you have regular monthly periods and you know what the first day of the period is, and you probably should always keep track of that if you're of childbearing age, well, uh, it's pretty simple to calculate. To if, get the due date. With a calendar. Right. You have a calendar in front of you. Right. It, it's very simple. Subtract three months and then add seven days to the first day of the last period for people who have monthly periods. Uh, so, for example, if the first day of your last period was September 7th, then you subtract three months. That's you get to June. June. And then you add seven days. And you get to seven plus seven is 14. So the due date for someone whose last menstrual period, first day, was uh, September 7th. Well, the due date would be officially September, uh, June, June 14th. Exactly. And, of course, there's a little bit of variation. That's when we expect the baby. The baby may come early. may come a little late. Everybody's a little different. Now, if a woman doesn't know when her last cycle started, you can still estimate the age of the pregnancy by how big it is. Now, when you press <laughs> gently on the lady's tummy, you'll notice a firm area and, and a soft area. Now, the firm area, usually at the bottom and the early part of the pregnancy, is going to be the uterus, and the soft area is going to be the guts, right, the intestines. So what you want to do is identify the uppermost level of firmness very very gently, and you'll be able to estimate the approximate age of the pregnancy. If the lump is peaking out just over the pubic bone, you're probably around to 12 weeks or so. Now, halfway between the pubic bone and the belly button, that's about 16 weeks. At the belly button itself, you're at about 20 weeks pregnant. Now, each centimeter, then you can use actually your measuring tape. Each centimeter above the belly button adds about a week. And but so, you have to measure from the pubic bone. From the pubic bone. Hey, how do you do it? Start. How do you do it? <laughs> Take the tape at zero, put that at the pubic bone, and then pull the tape up, and you will have already felt where the baby, the, the top bump is, and that's where you're measuring to, up towards the chest. That's right. And so... Each centimeter above the belly button adds about a week. So right. usually if you if you measure every couple of weeks in, in a pregnancy, once they hit 20 weeks or so, you start seeing maybe a, one or two centimeters. Exactly. Two centimeters in that two-week period right. would be pretty normal. Now, a term pregnancy oftentimes measures around 40 centimeters, could be 38 centimeters, could be 41, uh, for, if you measure from the pubic bone to the top of the uterus. Now, twins, as you might imagine, that oh, throws yeah. all of these measurements right out the window. <laughs> now, they will occur in about 1 in 60 births. It's not that uncommon, more often if there's a family history, too. So uh, I w would definitely always keep in mind, if you've got a big baby, do you have two? But don't worry about triplets, in my opinion. They occur only in about 1 in 7,000 births unless you use fertility drugs. And we won't have fertility drugs. Right, and that's... I think a good thing, triplets tend to be born around 32 weeks, yeah. and a couple of months early. They often need extra help to get through the newborn period, yeah. first, which is the first 28 days after birth. So uh, you definitely don't want triplets if, if, you, if you don't have to have them. Now, of course, 
once you've identified the pregnancy, you got to make every effort to assure your patient's getting good nutrition. That's very important. Yes. Deficiencies can affect the development of the baby. So you got to obtain essential vitamins and iron through the diet. That'll give the best chance to avoid complications. If you've stockpiled prenatal vitamins, and you probably should have some if you uh, have women of childbearing age in your group. Or any multivitamin. It doesn't just have to be prenatal. If you guys have any multivitamins whatsoever, uh, use those for... Yeah. Centrum pre- silver, like for old I guys don't care. like me. I don't even care if it's children's vitamins. It won't yeah. matter. Bears. Give, give, give them to our pregnant ladies. Again, we need the healthiest babies possible. And that's always... We always need the healthiest babies, especially if you're bringing them into a situation like that. Right. Exactly. Now... The thing is uh, that you will be dealing with a number of symptoms. We mentioned vomiting. Nausea and vomiting is a major early one that is of concern. Some people, it lasts longer. Some people, it uh, lasts last longer than others. Yeah. Uh, you would like to have some anti-nausea medications to add to your stockpile. You might consider <clears throat> on Dancitron, which is uh, Zofran. That is with a prescription, but it is something that... Uh, if you're traveling to another country or your doctor, you know, where the water is questionable or going anywhere where the water is questionable, maybe camping, uh, your doctor might not have too much trouble um, writing you a prescription mm-hmm. for it. Luckily, vomiting and nausea does disappear in most everybody as they advance in the pregnancy. To about 12 weeks. Right. Somewhere around 12 weeks, a lot of people start feeling better. That's right. And in the meantime, dry foods... Uh, bland foods, crackers, for example, saltines, they will help get a woman through toast, this stage. And you can still make toast yes, dry over toast. a campfire. There you go. It's okay. <laughs> you can still make toast. There you go. G- uh, ginger tea, that's also a time-honored uh, home remedy to help decrease morning sickness. You know what else is supposed to help? They actually made these um, pressure point yes. bracelets. So there's a point um, just under the thumb joint uh, at the wrist, um, and you're supposed to be able to push on that was not like till you, they don't have any blood flowing, but just, right, it's near the artery. Yes, there. just just some pressure in that area, just below the wrist, below the hand, um, in the on the thumb side. So if you put pressure on that, it's supposed to help with nausea. And like I said, they had these anti-nausea bracelets. Look like tennis bracelets. Remember the fuzzy tennis bracelets, the stretchy ones? And they had just put a little, almost like a button underneath yes. the, the so band. So there's always a little pressure. And you were supposed to extra pressure put there. them on. Yep. I tried them. It didn't work for me. But, hey, it might work for someone else. Oh, if you've got nothing you else, know. it's worth a shot, right? Right. Uh, another thing that uh, you might see as a medic is, of course, somebody threatening to miscarry. Of course, we're human beings. We're not perfect, and 10% indeed of all pregnancies do not continue because of some problem, but and, most likely with the baby. And Right, and I just want to be clear. People don't miscarry because they did something bad in the world or you're being punished at all. In the, the time that the sperm and the egg get together, they don't always join up perfectly. And if something's off or if when it's developing in the first few weeks, something doesn't develop Normally, three arms, two heads, whatever. No oh boy. You know, double organs, whatever it is, your body is 
such an amazing system that it recognizes that this is not right. Some something has gone wrong and gets rid of it. And it's nothing you did. It's not your fault. Something wasn't right and you get to start over. At the best and thing- hopefully the next time, usually the next time, everything is fine and it works out great. Just because you have a miscarriage or even two. I had two. One before my first one and one after my second one. Before the, before the second one. I mean, it just... It just happens. That's you know, true. something wasn't right. As a medic, all you can do is have that a person go on bed rest and limit their activities. And if the pregnancy is going to continue, it will. And if it's not going to continue, it just won't. It, it just won't. And, uh, and that's just part of the deal. All right. You have to keep an eye out, of course, for evidence of infection, things like fever, foul vaginal discharges, especially after a miscarriage. That could be a sign that there is going to be. A problem. Some infections do occur if not all the tissue comes out. And uh, women with these symptoms would benefit from antibiotic therapy. Now, pregnant women should be evaluated pretty regularly, see how the fetus is progressing more frequently as the pregnancy goes on. And of course, at a certain point, usually around 16, 18 weeks, uh, you could hear via stethoscope the fetal heartbeat. May, it might be hard at 16 weeks, so if you haven't had much experience with it, uh, these days they use something called a Doppler ultrasound device to measure, or fetal monitor. If you have one of those, great, but if you don't, over the course of time, uh, as time goes on, you'll be able to hear the heartbeat. Now, the heartbeat you can identify because it's always going to be faster than the mother's heartbeat. Matter of fact, the heartbeat of the baby should be probably 120 beats a minute, 140 beats a minute. Exactly. That's that's the difference. It does not match the pulse of the mother, so that's something that's important to know. Uh, if you, by the way, those bat, these fetal monitors can be uh, battery powered. You can find them online, and so you might consider having one of those if they're you're not cheap. a long I will say cheap. the good ones are not cheap. They have some that you know are It might be cheaper now. For it's ho- been a while. I've looked lately. Yeah. They have some that are quote for home use, but I see the reviews are just awful. Oh yeah. Yeah, if you're not terribly trained in exactly where you're supposed to be pointing, like I knew and you knew at how many weeks of a pregnancy, where exactly I should be pointing that. Right. You know, down low, on the side, on, you know, right. up here on the side. Right, if you're not pointing it side. at the right place. You... I knew the angle to point so that I would pretty much hear the baby's heartbeat right away. People are going to be moving this little monitor all over, and it, it's not terribly easy. So, unfortunately, with a lot of equipment, the more money you spend, the higher quality, the better sensitive the monitor is, the easier it is going to be for you to hear it. The cheap ones, I'm just not sure if you're actually going to be able to hear the heartbeat. In the end, you might have be stuck just using a regular stethoscope, the one they have came with your blood pressure uh, cuff. If that's the case, use the bell. Use the bell. Uh, there is an also, also a specific one you can get called a fetoscope, which actually goes on your head almost like when you those gag uh, arrows that go through your head <laughs> that yes. look like you're going through your head. And you actually press down uh, with the bell 
with your forehead. You're pressing down with your forehead down into the area uh, on the tummy that you think the heartbeat is. Uh, that the, I don't know if they even have those anymore, but they they might. Now, uh, weight gain doesn't use batteries. Yeah. <laughs> weight gain is a very desirable thing during pregnancy. I do not want people to lose think weight. that they I yeah. definitely not lose weight or don't try to stay don't at the same diet. weight. <laughs> you should try to gain about twenty five pounds or so. That's going to be a hard thing to do in a survival setting, but if you can. That would be great. And one more thing. Don't gain the 25 pounds in the first 12 weeks. Yeah. That doesn't help you. Because you're going to keep gaining after that. <laughs> and unfortunately, pretty much no matter what you do after that, besides starvation, you're still going to gain another 20 pounds or so. So now, now don't try not to start off like that. <laughs> now, each of these visits, uh, when you visit, uh, when you examine a pregnant lady, uh, I'd say the visit should be once a month uh, until you hit uh, maybe... What six months? Yeah. Then maybe three weeks. I don't weeks, know. Six you know what? Eight, if they're in a community, weeks. I have to say, I, I I'd say weekly, only because we're talking about survival situation. Maybe the diet's not great. I mean, we're talking about office visits when medical systems up. But I I'd have to say, I, I wouldn't be sad if somebody came in weekly. Okay. All right. Well, I I think that's fine. In the early part, though, sometimes it makes it would make the medic a little nuts because they can't hear the baby's heartbeat because they don't have the experience. Well, she could come in and just wave and say, hi, I'm okay. Everything's all right. Well, that I think you should do. And what else is that medic going to be doing anyway? Well, he'd be checking. (laughs) What I want him to do is want him to check blood pressures during these visits. I want uh, them to keep a close eye on it. Now, blood pressure is an issue in pregnancies, especially first pregnancies. Uh, there can be what we call pregnancy-induced hypertension. Right. And uh, if you have a pregnant lady with elevated blood pressure, you've got to put her on bed rest, and lying on her left side will keep her blood pressure at its lowest, most likely. And what I meant was, what else is he going to be doing besides trying to take care of her? Saving lives. Well, hopefully they're hopefully he <laughs> he's not in a place where there's a bunch of klutzes that are falling off of trees and slicing their legs open with knives and Lord. stuff. Keep keep your your community safe and just worry about the pregnant person. There you go. All <laughs> Make right. her the most important thing that you have to do for the next nine months. Tell I, everybody they have to be safe. Oh, I just want to say one other thing. Something that you'll see in later pregnancies, you're going to see people have swollen feet. Ugh. So swollen ankles, swollen feet, very, very common. If you have high blood pressure, though, pregnancy-induced hypertension, you may notice swelling everywhere, maybe even in the face in some Toes. people. Could be a no, big issue. Your nose, your fingers. Right. The swelling is okay as long as the pressure's okay. I think the only thing that didn't swell on me were my ears. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I swear. <laughs> that, was, that was the only thing that did not swell on me. That or my hair. My hair didn't swell. <laughs> you know, things are going pretty fast here, so I'm going to... Uh, talk about delivery. I was going to talk about delivery of the baby, and we're going to have to talk about that next oh, week. Oh, that's too much to talk about in this time. So what we'll do is we're going to go ahead and just let you know, give you an idea that we're going of, of what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to be talking about oh, yeah. how to manage delivery, labor and delivery. Important and, stuff. And you have a midwife and an old obstetrician 
you know. Well, that, I'll correct you where I need and, to. And thank you. And I appreciate <laughs> it. I appreciate it. You know better. I'll throw in so, some midwife yeah. tips. How's that? That's right. <laughs> hey, you know, we get a lot of requests for us to do segments on natural remedies, and we like to integrate natural plant substances into our strategies for long-term survival. I mean, face it, the, the medic can stockpile all the drugs he or she can, mm-hmm. but if an event lasts long enough without society restabilizing and getting manufacturing of medicines up again, well, I mean, pretty much you're going to be left with whatever is in your backyard that might have medicinal benefits. And you'd be smart to start maybe planting some of these things now, some of these plants now that have medicinal benefits in normal times so you can get some good growth and can maybe experiment a little with making teas or or the other ways that plants are processed tinctures. into medicine. Tinctures are tinctures pretty easy with to alcohol, do. right? Yeah. I got me some moonshine. I'm going to make some go. tinctures. Yes, there you go. Right. And a grain alcohol would be terrific for that. <laughs> now, and this is exactly, by the way, I'm not saying anything magical or brand new that nobody's ever heard of. Well, actually, people haven't heard of heard about it for quite a while, I guess, but your ancestors did all this stuff. Just as a matter of fact, they had this plant or that plant in the garden, not because it was food necessarily, but for use for illnesses and injuries. Now, some plants are herbs that can be used in, that are used in cooking, however, but that have uses for the medic as well. So well, let's talk about one of them today. I'm talking about cloves. Now, cloves, uh, the Latin name is Syzygium aromaticum, and they, indeed they are aromatic. They're one of the spices that are native to Asia. You can find them in various places. I think they originate in the Maluku Islands in Indonesia, uh, but they also can be found in India and Pakistan, even parts of East Africa. And our patio. And our patio, we have two. Uh, have two we bought three. Plants. Uh-huh. Two are thriving, and one hit the bucket. Curled up and said, nope. <sighs> nope, not going to do it. But the other two are doing great. They're doing awesome. And so we feel good about that. Uh, cloves are a pretty popular spice used in Asian cuisine. I'm sure people know that. As a matter of fact, they form the basis of a lot of the food in a number of different Asian nations. Uh, cloves, they have a pretty interesting history. During the 13th and 14th centuries, they were transported all the way from the Maluku Islands uh, to pretty much all over the, the known world. I would think that Marco Polo was Marco. a clove Marco. merchant. Polo. Marco. Polo. Marco. To. <laughs> if you don't say it, I'm going to say it again. Polo. There you go. <laughs> All right, there you go. Uh, so I'm sure that he shipped some uh, cloves to Italy and other European nations from during his travels. And at that time, cloves had a really high price, and they were actually the subjects of even wars to try to monopolize their production and distribution and, of course, to control the islands where they came from. Uh, the Dutch, by the way, wound up the victorious in that battle, and they held the Maluku Islands for quite a while, as a matter of fact. Wasn't that the, what was that, the trading company? Uh, the Dutch East, East That's India it. Company. Yeah. Was that them? Well, there's the, there, there was an English version and a Dutch version. Aha. Now, when we talk about natural plants, we usually talk about using leaves, roots, or the flowers, the actual form flowers, but with cloves, it's most it's the flower buds before they open that are actually used most often as a spice and for most of its medicinal properties. Can you just think for one second how it is that they have to pick those at that exact moment? We're gonna have to we're gonna have to figure that out ourselves. <laughs> Unbelievable! <laughs> Once we gonna, get it's some... like you're gonna have to stare at the plant. 
Okay, is it ready? Is it ready? Is it ready? Okay, pick it. <laughs> hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. <laughs> well, we'll have to see. If, you, if anybody else has some uh, experience with growing cloves, well, uh, please uh, send us an email at drbonespodcast.com. We always would appreciate some advice Tips. on that. Tips. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, the flower buds are processed in a number of different ways. We use the essential oil, by the way, in some of our kits uh, for uh, mostly dental purposes, but we have they have a lot of good good things about them. Mm-hmm. Cloves are antioxidant powerhouses. They've got uh, calcium, iron, and magnesium, phosphorus, potassium, sodium, zinc, vitamin C, A, D, E, K, thiamine, riboflavin. I'm reading from a list now: niacin, folate, B6, B12. Wow. Bunch of good vitamin stuff a, in there. Vitamin E, vitamin D, yep, vitamin all K. sorts of stuff. Vitamin Lo- K, by the way, is really helpful for yep. stopping bleeding. You need to have good levels of vitamin K so your body can clot the blood. There you go. That and they have a lot of different reasons why cloves have been used in the past. Some of which uh, include include uh, digestion uh, help. Mm-hmm. Uh, Antimicrobial properties, uh, even fighting cancer. Although, let's we have to be realistic about uh, some of these things. I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, protecting the liver, maybe boosting the immune system. A good antioxidant will do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, controlling diabetes, possibly preserving bone quality, as well as fighting against oral diseases. Uh, and some people even use them for headaches. Uh, even the the Chinese say, at least, that they're are a potent aphrodisiac, which takes me to... Cloves? (laughs) Interesting. So a natural Viagra? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Not a Viagra. No. Well, that's the deal. Uh, How do I know... The the big question is, how do you know if cloves are effective against this problem or that problem? Right. And you have to take the truth. The truth here is that hard scientific data is hard to come by with a lot of these natural products. So you have to understand that the reports that I'm going to talk about Arno's proof mm-hmm. effects are usually very individual due to cha- uh, due to the environment that the plant was grown in and the concentration of the uh, chemicals that provide the medicinal benefit. I mean, some people may receive the health benefits I'm going to talk about in full. Some people mm-hmm. uh, maybe not so much. So let's go over some of the these possible health benefits of clothes. They include uh, digestion, better digestion. They stimulate the secretion of digestion, digestive enzymes. Uh, cloves are also good for uh, decreasing gas, um, a stomach upset, uh, nausea, things like that. They can, uh, and you can actually roast them, powder them, or take them with honey uh, to affect these cha- these results. The antibacterial properties for cloves, uh, they're very good for. Uh, believe it or not, a lot of different bacteria, and they're considered to be effective even against Vibrio cholera, the specific bacteria that spreads, well, uh, cholera. Uh, there's a big thing about liver protection. Cloves supposedly um, are ideal for protecting uh, the liver from the effects of free radicals. Uh, remember, metabolism, metabolism in the long run increases free radical production. We've talked about that in our antioxidant segments in the past, and it decreases these free radicals in the liver. And uh, from for diabetes, cloves have been used in many traditional me- remedies for diabetes, for example. Um, 
Extracts from cloves may imitate insulin in certain ways and help in controlling blood sugar levels. Hmm. Now, that's the thing. Hmm. How much of this can we be certain of? The truth is not a lot. I mean, but these are what I would love have to believe been, it. This, these are the what thing. have been reported by naturopaths and and people like that. And uh, An extracts. Yeah, and the, right. right. And the extracts of clove, for example, and alcohol include compounds such as eugenol and uh, flavonoids and isoflavones, flavones. And these extracts are thought to be helpful in preserving bone density. And so that's something that might be helpful. Might be helpful in cases of osteoporosis where the bones get brittle. Uh, one thing that I'm pretty sure of, I can't can't vouch for every one of the things that we just talked about, but I can vouch that it does boost the immune system um, because of all the antioxidants there. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so, therefore, if you use cloves in your, your diet, have that in your diet, or mm-hmm. use it in your medicinal properties, I think that will help the immune system. It also supposedly, it also supposedly is anti-inflammatory and certainly has pain-killing pro- properties, I can tell you. That that's a hundred percent right. The presence of eugenol, I mean, which has been used by dentists for years, it reduces inflammation caused by swelling, um, especially in oral uh, cases. It can reduce pain, especially dental pain, by stimulating the pain or by preventing the pain receptors from firing off. And this is something that is very well known, and indeed, uh, you can take uh, cloves for various types of uh, gum diseases i would say that you have to use it in very light light amounts there because the truth of the matter is i think it can't irritate the gums if it's too strong Uh, some people say that it's a cure for headaches as well headaches can be reduced by using cloves make a paste of a few cloves mix it with some milk and a dash of rock salt and they say that it well it sounds yucky but it says it reduces headaches Quickly and effectively. Remember that clove oils, you have to be careful about using them directly. They're too strong unless they, unless you dilute them either in olive oil, distilled water. Uh, clove extract oil is considered to be safe, but certain studies have revealed that they can it can be, again, too strong. So that's the thing that you have to be aware of. One uh, last thing to make temporary filling cement, take a couple of drops of clove oil, some zinc oxide powder, Roll it around and uh, place it into a cavity where you've lost the cavity where you lost a filling, or it might be helpful even to uh, fasten a loose crown. Some people say that it's better for uh, as a temporary filling than to fasten loose crowns. Everybody's a little different. That's all the time we have for this week. Boy, that went by, by fast for me, at least. <laughs> You've been listening to the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe and Amy Alton, also known as Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.